Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Case, and this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. If you are new to the channel, um, this is a channel where I have on guests who are geniuses. They're super, super smart, and I like to make them uh, feel self-conscious about that before I let them in. Uh, we we talk about their work in philosophy and theology. You know how how do we live a, the good life kind of stuff. Uh, today we're going to be talking with Doctor Perry Hendricks. We're going to be talking about uh, his the last chapter of his dissertation about common sense problems of evil. Now, if you don't know what that is, then you're in the right spot. You're going to be an expert in it by the end of this episode. But uh, man, you guys, I like hearing from you. So if you have thoughts on this, then drop them in the comments. Um, let's hear what you have to say. Maybe maybe Dr. Perry will uh, will come back in and school us. So feel free to ask your questions in the comments. Um, a, a way to support this podcast is to support me on Patreon. That's the biggest. If you like the podcast, if you want to see me stick around here, you got to help feed my dog, Theophilus. And the best way to do that is following the link in the description if you're getting this on YouTube or Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Follow the link, become a Patreon patron for as little as $3 a month, all the way up to 100 And let's get my dog some dog food. All right. Uh, without further ado, let's bring in Dr. Perry Hendricks and uh, see what he's got for us. Perry, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. If you guys are listening audio, he's got a big silly mustache that looks way better than mine. It's fantastic. And he's, I'm, not uh, go, I'm not about to go on someone's show and be put to shame by their mustache. <laughs> That's right. Did did you tape that on? Is that glued? What? Oh, I mean, it's a uh, it's a fake mustache. It's got some sort of adherent on it. <laughs> That's so good, um, Perry man. So you just finished up. You just defended your uh, dissertation, and it's on the problem of evil, and it's on something called skeptical theism. Uh, before we get into like some distinctives here of common sense uh problems of evil how did you get interested in the problem of evil so much so that you wanted to write you know a dissertation on that uh let's see i don't know i mean um that's a hard question uh, how did i get interested in it uh i mean i got interested in philosophy of religion at some point um and then a long time ago, I guess it, it all stems from my uh, interest in skeptical theism. Okay. Like in 2016, I read uh, The Father of Lies by HUD Hudson. Yeah. Went completely over my head. No clue what was going on in it. And then um, maybe a couple, maybe about four months later, I had like um a drink of tequila and then i watched schindler's list and in the midst of schindler's list the truth of skeptical theism the core of it uh struck me wow and, and i grasped that what was going on in that paper uh i don't know why but ever since then i've been interested in skeptical theism which is thought to you know be relevant to certain kinds of problems of evil and then um, there's this common sense problem of evil, which is supposed to be immune to skeptical theism. So that's probably because people claim it's immune to skeptical theism. That's probably why I got interested in it. Wow, man. That's quite the origin story. <laughs> Tequila and Schindler's List. Like, I don't know if I've heard that before. That's good. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, <clears throat> so, so briefly, again, you know, this isn't a conversation on skeptical theism, uh, though, you know, I really want to get you on to talk about that. So you got to come back. But just just like really like for those who have not heard of skeptical theism, uh, what the heck is that? Um, in the most like general sense, I guess it's this skepticism about um, the ability of humans to uh, uh, grasp or the, the skepticism of the ability of humans to sort of grasp the value of different events or to grasp the uh, reasons in favor of allowing or causing certain events. But I mean, a little that doesn't sound that's not uh, terribly informative or interesting. One way to think about it is that there are lots of arguments from evil that claim that there are some instances of evil of which there, uh, oh, that wasn't required for a greater good. Um, or, and they justify this claim by saying, well, we know of no such greater good. Therefore, probably there is no such greater good. Yeah. And all forms of skeptical theism are going to say that inference kind of sucks. Um, yeah. that we shouldn't make that inference. Um, so that's kind of what unites skeptical theists is the, inf- uh, a rejection of that kind of inference. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's huge. And I, I actually, I didn't know, uh, about the different types of skeptical theism and that there's different views, like coming out of theology, I pretty much, I don't even know if you would call this, uh, a, a skeptical theist view, but like pulling on the greater good, uh, defense and saying like, you know, it's Christocentric looking at the cross and saying that's the worst evil ever, but God brought about the greatest good. If he can do it with the, the worst evil, he can do it with a lesser form of evil that we're experiencing. So we can never use uh, an apparent instance of gratuitous evil to argue against God um, because we have, you know, this, this justifying reason. And then finding out later, like stepping on it in a and a I think, that I did for my, my stream. Someone was like, well, what about like the inscrutability and, uh, and the spread of skeptical theism out to, you know, messing with arguments for God? And I was like, what? What on earth? And I was so sad to see that like that is the case. And then you, you're like this gadfly on Facebook and you sent me Hud Hudson's uh, father of lies and i was just like wrecked this whole paper that i was working on which is really really good thank you for that but um so what i'm what i've discovered through studying theology and philosophy of religion is like a lot of the philosophy of religion guys have this inscrutability view where it's like look god is this other being and it's kind of like inscrutable uh are us judging his reasons it's like how could we do that he's so different than us so how could we know whether or not he has a good reason for allowing what looks like gratuitous evil, what looks like an evil with hat, which has no greater good or uh, subsequent good or, you know, antecedent good, just, you know, limiting uh, other evils, all these types of things. God's different, so we can't judge that it's inscrutable. And in the theology world, they're like, no, there's we, we have an instance of God bringing about a greater good from the worst evil. So we're justified in looking at this instance and saying, hey, I'd have to be God in order to know God's reasons. Have you seen that at all? Have you seen like those two different camps kind of 
both using the the term or is this just in my head uh it, I haven't seen it, but I'm also probably not qualified to say whether that's happening. I read a bit of theology here and there, but I kind of suck at theology, so I uh, don't do it a whole lot. Yeah, I think everyone probably does. Um, but yeah, no worries. So, Maybe um, I suck at philosophy too, though. That could be the case <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I read your dissertation, so I don't think so. Um I just wanted to acknowledge that for the listener. So, so we got a little bit on what skeptical theism is, and I just want to acknowledge that if you're listening, you might have a different conception of what skeptical theism is, depending on which camp you're coming from or whatever. Um, and it might just be me, but I don't think so. Um, so you already, as you already like mentioned, there's these common sense uh, problems of evil, which are meant to just kind of go around skeptical theism. Skeptical theism is, is really popular in philosophy of religion. And it's a good, um, a lot of people are going to use that. So if you can find a way to go around that, if you're a non-theist or just a you know theist gadfly, that's a pretty good thing. So we're going to talk all about common sense problems of evil. But first, like, what do we mean by common sense? What do you in, in your dissertation you talk about common sense epistemology and justification? Yeah, what do we take that to mean? Right. Um, so the way that uh, common sense is kind of a weird uh, word to use here. Um, but that's what people are using when they talk about this problem. So yeah. I don't know. I just kind of go with it. Um, by common sense justification, uh, they, uh, what's meant is phenomenal conservative justification. So, you know, if it seems to someone that something is true, that gives you, uh, you know, at least some justification for thinking that's true, provided that you don't have a defeater for it. Um, and so uh, if it seems to you, and I'll get into this a little more later, that some like uh, instance of evil is gratuitous, it's supposed to provide this justification, provided that there's no defeater. The way that this sort of gets uh, or tries to get around skeptical theism is that this type of justification is non-inferential. Um, because it's immediate. You get it in virtue of having the seeming and not having a defeater. And um, uh, skeptical theism is uh, target uh, targets typically these kinds of inferences. So that's how it's supposed to get around uh, skeptical theism. Okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, that's really helpful. So uh, non-inferential justification, just it's, it, it could sound so cool and so crazy. It just means like you're not inferring. You're not making it, you're not using like reasoning to uh, go from if A, then B. Okay, I have A, therefore B. No, it's just like immediate. It's not inferred. It's something seems to you right away. Yeah, you know, it seems to me that uh, setting a cat on fire is bad, and I thereby provided I don't have a defeater to this kind of justification, I don't need to go through any reasoning process. Yeah, so good. <laughs> Such a wild example. Um, that's good. Uh, you also get into... Uh, public and private reasons and do, is that helpful do you think we should go into that uh i don't think it's helpful here because uh, that's uh uh just in the sense that um i mean private reasons uh this common sense justification is supposed to be a private reason i talk about public reasons when i'm trying to um uh uh, uh describe skeptical theism and what skeptical theism is about um but yeah i mean I guess all we need uh, here is that I, I don't think it's terribly relevant. Nice. It was helpful that you just explained that. So I, I think I won that. Oh, issue. I guess it was then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Cool. So, so uh, 
again, listeners who, I mean, you guys heard phenomenal conservatism there. Um, that's, uh, you know, proposed by Mike humor, who's been on the podcast a bunch. So go and check those out as well. He's the man, scary, smart. Um, all right, man, dude, let's, let's just jump into common sense problems of evil then. Um, what, uh, okay. So they invoke private reasons. I have this written down over here. So it's good that, that you did mention private reasons. They, they invoke private reasons in a way that purported, purportedly nullifies the threat of skept, uh, skeptical theism. Can you just do that one more time for us? Like why, why, why are these supposed to do that work? So skeptical theism, at least typically is directed at these kinds of inferences, like I know of no such greater good connected to some evil. Therefore, probably there is no such greater good. Yeah. Um, so it's trying to say, you know, that inference sucks. You shouldn't do that. But uh, that's a bad inference. It's unjustified. Um, anyone who holds a belief based on that inference is holding an unjustified belief. But this sort of, uh, if you talk about common sense justification or phenomenal conservative justification, there's no inference happening there. So there's nothing for skeptical theism, arguably to uh undermine yeah yeah it's so good do you um <clears throat> a, a, a few years back there's like this really important distinction between like the logical problem of evil and the evidential problem of evil um and and i think most people take the logical problem to be kind of dead maybe planning a buried it but um what do you make of that distinction and is this all operating within like within evidential problems of evil um, well, I mean, no arguments are alive, so I guess all arguments are in some sense dead. Um, yeah, but not being alive doesn't uh, entail being dead. Yeah, that that's true. Right. Yeah. Touche. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't see that as terribly relevant uh, to this. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think that that's terribly, unless do you see a way that it's relevant? I don't know. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out, um, like I said, dude, like I'm, I'm kind of all over the map because a lot of the theology guys are, uh, a little bit behind the times and I love them. I studied theology. I'm, I got my master's in systematic theology and theological studies. I love you guys, but a lot of them are just kind of behind the times and they, so when you, when you're mixing and matching different worlds, it's like what is everyone talking about? So as much as I can, I like to synthesize just so people know what the frick is going on. And I, I think it's probably like, um, yeah, this has to do with like the, the, the evidential problem of evil. And it's there. Sometimes there's this language of like internal critique uh, versus not an in, 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 internal critique. Cause some people will say like, well, the atheist doesn't believe in, in uh, objective right and wrong. So how could they, you know, how could they uh, critique the Christian view? And it's like, well, all they have to do is say, this is a, you'd believe in that. And this is an internal critique for your view. Even if I think that, you know, uh, good and bad is morally relative or, or, or uh, culturally relative or something like that. So, yeah, I don't know, man. Problem of evil stuff. Just trying to catch everyone up here. Um, let's, let's go in on uh, the axiological common sense problem of evil. This is a mouthful. This is fun now. Yeah. My writing is really annoying to read because I have to add all these annoying and long words uh, in front of all these arguments and, uh, and positions. Um, I don't envy people who have to read of those three people who end up reading my stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, a third of them. This is good. <laughs> actually, I actually, um, you don't, you don't like symbolize. You don't say like, 
axio the axiological common sense problem of evil and then you know a c p p o e which i kind of <laughs> like i kind of like that you don't do it because i i do that a lot because i want to show that i'm a big smart analytic guy and it gets really obnoxious and really stupid really fast so I already know that I'm dumb, so I don't have to try and show that. Um, but uh, uh, I just got annoyed by that. Like, there's too many uh, acronyms. And yes. so I was like, okay, I'm just going to yeah. check it out. Yeah, that's good. I, so I do appreciate that. Yeah, hit us, man. What is the axiological common sense problem of evil? So I just, uh, the axiological common sense problem of evil um, makes use of what I'm going to call, unsurprisingly, axiological gratuitous evil. Mm -hmm. So an evil is axiologically gratuitous, just in case it isn't required for their uh, for um, some greater good or set of goods that outweighs it, or required to prevent an evil or set of evils that's equally bad or worse. If that's that's what uh, that's typically what people mean by gratuitous evil, I just want to make it clear that it's an axiological uh, an axiological thesis. Yeah. So they uh, uh, so with that in mind, you know, there's usually we can construct this little argument, you know, necessarily we can say, like, necessarily, if God exists, then there's no axiologically gratuitous evil. Mm -hmm. But there is axiologically gratuitous evil and therefore God doesn't exist. Now, the first premise is almost certainly false. I don't understand why so many philosophers have drank the Kool-Aid here thinking that God's existence is incompatible with axiologically gratuitous evil. Yeah. Um, but let's set that aside and grant it for the sake of argument. Yeah. Um, Justin Mooney has some really good stuff on this, as is Peter Vandenwagen, um, yeah. for example. Uh, and I think you've had Justin on, right? So Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We talked something different. Um, uh, face sortals, which is a little bit different. But yeah, I was I was just thinking about PVIs um, and, and on gratuitous evil. But OK, so here's something that's cool in philosophy that I like. Instead of instead of you addressing that issue and being like, dude, premise one, like get out of here. You're like, Hey, we're let's grant that. Like, so best case scenario, your argument goes through, uh, at least through premise one, what follows. Okay. Here's, so then you get to argue on the argument and then Mooney will come along and challenge premise one. And it's just, it's fun. I, I love doing that kind of stuff. It's so cool to see that. Uh, it's more out of laziness. Like I'll just, <laughs> you know, then I don't have to address something. So not a virtue. It's, it's it flows from a vice of mine. <laughs> Dang it. Um, okay. So we got the argument there necessarily. If God exists, there's no axiological gratuitous evil. There is axiological gratuitous evil. Therefore God doesn't exist. And, and premise two is motivated by, um, like common common sense, right? It's it's motivated by seemings. Well, so the thought is that there are um, some people who ex who it seems that there's uh, who have the seeming that there's uh, axiologically gratuitous evil. So, for example, uh, let's consider some case like um, uh, this is actually uh, I think I was reading this was in Chicago. Um, it was downtown, and this woman was walking, and. Uh, it was, it was in a parking lot and then she fell into a well Jeez. and she was like stuck down there for almost 12 hours. She was like screaming the whole time. It was this horrendous experience and she broke some bones and stuff. And like some firefighters came by and like pulled her out and they were trying to figure out, you know, what happened? Why did the woman fall in the well? Well, it turns out she just couldn't see that well. No, <laughs> dang it. But in any case, there, 
Is this a real story? I mean, it's a real story. Uh, <laughs> and you added into this woman's horrific story. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure there is a woman who's fallen into a well who couldn't see that well. Yeah, yeah, um, okay. <laughs> That's good. Uh, in any case, there are like these, uh, you know, evils that are bad, right? And yeah. especially for someone who undergoes them, um, <laughs> um, you might think that it seems to that person that there's this kind of axiological, axiologically gratuitous evil. Yeah. And that uh, is going to provide them with uh, justification, uh, common sense justification for that second premise. And we've granted the first one. And so this means that they have some common sense justification uh, for thinking uh, for atheism or whatever, right? Okay, yeah. Um, and yeah, so that, that's how I, uh, the axiological common sense problem of evil goes. It's, not, it's pretty modest, right? Because it doesn't claim everyone should accept this second premise. It just says, you know, some people, it seems that there's this axiologically gratuitous evil and those people have justification uh, for yeah. thinking God does not exist. Right. Yeah, that is good. Um, there, to me, it's like there's um, similarities between this and certain forms of like the hiddenness argument where it's like it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to argue like, hey, I, I, it seems to me like God is hidden. You're like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't seem to you like that. And like, wait, yes, it does. Uh, but so you, you give two replies here. And the first one is just the incredulous stare. And can you explain, like, how does that work? Like, people in my audience will know what the incredulous stare is. So, um, it's come from David Lewis because he's crazy and he believes in all these insane worlds and people are just like, hmm? So how, how, does, how do you reply to the axiological uh, argument with the incredulous stare? Well, uh, how it works? Not very well because nobody ever buys it. Uh, everyone, <laughs> so the incredulous stare is like, look, I don't believe it seems to anyone that this is the case. Like that's, that's crazy. That's wacky. Like yeah. uh, there's no way that anyone has these seemings. Um, unsurprisingly, I've said this at a couple of conferences and uh, you know, uh, people really insist that there are these seemings. Um, yeah. And the reason I'm skeptical of this is like, okay, let's kind of look, look at what we're saying right here. Like you're saying, um, cause it, it sounds kind of, especially when people just talk about gratuitous evil, it's very easy to say, yeah, that seems gratuitous to me, but let, let's spell out a little bit what we mean by this, right? Like, yeah. if an evil is axiologically gratuitous, you mean that it seems to you that there's this instance of evil that is not logically connected to a singular good or set of goods that would outweigh it, or that outweighs it, or uh, and the prevent, or it's not connected to. Um, the prevention of a singular evil or set of evils that uh, is equally bad or worse. That seems to you to be true. Really? Um, it's like if somebody were to claim, you know, it seems to me that Mount Baker is the tallest mountain. Like, no, it doesn't. It seems to you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what people probably mean if they were talking about Mount Baker is like, it seems like a pretty tall mountain. Right. And then, um, uh, and when they're talking about um, a, an evil seeming axiologically gratuitous, what they probably mean is something like, it seems really bad, right? I've yeah. torn my ACL and it hurt really bad. Um, but I would never say like, this is the worst possible pain. Uh, it <laughs> yeah. seems to me, or I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it seemed to me that it was the worst possible pain. It seemed extremely painful. Yeah. Um, but it didn't <laughs> yeah. seem to be the worst possible. Well, <clears throat> 
Okay, there's so much good stuff here. So, like, people will often bring this up against uh, humor, and they'll be like, well, what? It, couldn't I just say that it seems to me that this tree uh, was planted in 1952? And he's like, what are you talking about? Why would it seem... People don't have those kind of seemings. And I think it's a, it's a connected thing here where it's like, that's actually not really what a seeming is. You're kind of baking in, like, an entire theory and then just calling it a seeming. And now I can't argue with you because it's it's private a private reason. It's one thing to say, what if I did have a seeming? It's another thing to say, I actually do have this seeming, right? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a good point. You, you need to actually have it for this argument to work. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I don't understand, especially like, yeah, it, it's like, if someone were to tell you that it seems to them that the number of stars is even, that'd be really weird. And you'd say, I don't think that actually seems to you that way. Um, yeah. Although, I mean, I shouldn't be, maybe I'm too strong here. Maybe there are, um, maybe, because uh, I mean, some people ha do, well, some people hold really like nutty views. Uh, like, you know, someone might think they have a glass head if like not everything's functioning properly uh, in their mental lives, you know? So yeah. I guess it's possible that, I got to allow that it's possible that there are these people who would, who have these like weird seemings. Um but, but, but wouldn't, wouldn't that be a defeater? Like if, you, if you're like, look, it seems to me like my my head is glass and you're like, um, but bro, I know that you have, uh, you know, I was at the psychiatrist with you or whatever. Like you have a defeater for, oh, I guess if you don't give it to them yet, they don't have that defeater yet. Yeah. Maybe they aren't aware of it or something like that. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so but I mean, nevertheless, like I was saying, uh, my skepticism is about their, their, their even being these seemings. Whereas um, that person actually does believe, I don't know if it seems to them, but they at least believe that there's this, uh, they have a glass head or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in the same way that you can have kind of wacky beliefs um, when, you know, not everything's right, uh, maybe you can have these wacky seemings. But I'm pretty sure that most people are just not thinking about um, what what it means for an evil to be axiologically gratuitous. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of a, of a way to do it. Like if you were walking in the woods, like picking morel mushrooms and you step into a bear trap and you're just like, ah, there is no God. Um, like, would that count as a seeming? Like if, if there were a God, maybe this, this is inferential then this, it, it, that wouldn't be non-inferential. You'd be like, I feel this pain from a bear trap. If there were a God. He wouldn't allow. He wouldn't have a morally sufficient reason for allowing me to step in the bear trap. That's inferential justification. Well, you, you're the the thought is that you're getting non-inferential justification for the premise that there is this uh, axiologically gratuitous evil, right? So it'd be yeah. like this bear trap that I just stepped in. Uh, this evil right here is axiologically gratuitous. It's not law. It seems to me that it's not logically connected to uh, the production of a greater good or set of goods that outweighs it or to the prevention of a worse or equal evil or set of evils that it, um yeah yeah that so <clears throat> that seems like a really strong seeming right that seems like a, a really specific idiosyncratic seeming yeah and really weird like why would we have seemings about that like i don't know that, that's just very strange to me yes okay so i got it that's a good that's a good incredulous stare moment there i like that yeah that's really helpful um okay well so then too you, you give a you know the, an undercutting defeater yeah um, yeah let's hear that 
Um, so I say, okay, fine. No one likes my incredulous stare, except maybe you. Yeah. Um, and uh, so let's see what follows if there are these, if people actually do have these seemings. Mm-hmm. And um, the thought is that, um, well, we have reason to think that our seemings in tracking these logical connections. So when we're talking about whether an, an evil is axiologically gratuitous, um, we're talking about whether there are these logical connections between the uh, evil and uh, goods and all the evils and goods logically connected to it. Mm-hmm. And so the thought is, well, you know, we suck at seeing these logical connections. We don't agree on anything uh, with respect to logical connections. Like there's disagreement everywhere whenever it comes to whether there's these uh, uh, logical connections between things. For example, like there's disputes about whether there's a logical connection between the right action and the action that produces the best consequences. Mm. Or there's, you know, disagreement about whether there's a logical connection between brain events and mental events. Um, right. Everywhere we go, we know that we're not good at detecting them because otherwise we wouldn't have this kind of disagreement. Um, yeah. You know, we're good at, detec- at detecting trees. If I see a tree, uh, no one goes over there and says, hey, that's not a tree. Uh, yeah. But with logical connections, there's just very little agreement. And it's um, it's not. And even when we have a consensus, it's usually or I shouldn't say usually, but sometimes it's the case due to arguments. It's not because we just see them or that they seem to be the case, you know. Right. So, so again, that would be inferential. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's not. Yeah. So the, when we do uh, converge, if we if we do on any of these uh, logical connections, it can be because of arguments and not because of these seemings. Right. Um, so, yeah, uh, we I just don't think that we're good at uh, detecting these seemings. Um, and if we're not good at detecting them, uh, if our seemers aren't good at tracking these logical connections, then that's going to be a defeater for uh, uh, a seeming that there's a logical connection somewhere or, or it's specifically, it's going to be a defeater for any seeming we have about axiologically gratuitous evil. Right. That involves that. And then additionally, uh, I mean, just think about like when we're talking about whether an evil is axiologically gratuitous, what we need to do is tally up all the goods and evils uh, logically connected to this evil. That's usually not something we would think we could do immediately. And like, do you really think that your seeming is tracking all of these logical connections, calculating them in such a way uh, that it, uh, the output is the seeming about, and it's a, the output is the seeming and the seeming like tracked it correctly. That'd be really weird. Right. 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 And it seems like we have reason to doubt it. And that's what the defeater is there. Yeah. Because if you're adding it up, and you're, you know, inferring things. This is not non-inferential anymore. You don't get to use the seeming things. And now we get to go back to skeptical theism and, you know, tough. So you don't, you don't get to hide over here. Otherwise, we're going back to the incredulous stare because it's so crazy that you would think this. So, boom, undercutting defeater. Um, I, wonder, I wonder, like, how bad do we have to be? Um, how, how, how bad does our reliability have to be in, in tracking these uh, logical connections. Like, I wonder if someone could, could push back on that and be like, yeah, but they're, maybe they're not like perfect, but they're generally reliable. Like, how would we deduce that? Do we need to pull out like our Bayesian calculators or something? The way that, uh, defeaters are typically thought about here. Um, and Mike Bergman has a really nice paper on this is that if you're reluctant to say the, that it's probably reliable or something like that, or that the probability is high or something like that, if you like resist that, then you're going to acquire this defeater. Like, 
Suppose, you know, um, you tell me that your name is Parker. Um, uh, and, uh, like I'm thinking like, okay, how reliable is this guy with respect to testimony about his first name? And I think, I don't know if it's high. Like, it seems like in that case, once I'm reluctant to ascribe a high probability that I have this defeater here, uh, for my belief that your name is Parker. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. So, okay, man, does this all go back to seemings then? Like, well, if, if you, uh, we have this undercutting defeater and you're saying, look, just, we're not that reliable with tracking logical connections, but someone else says, it seems to me that we are, (laughs) um, do they get to get out of the undercutting defeater because they're relying on their seemings again? I, um, I'd have to think about that. But if somebody said that, I, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't believe them. Really, it seems nice. to you that to we're good at that. Like, are you, are we, are we looking at the same uh, philosophy, like where there's just uh, massive disagreement about all these things? Like, I probably just wouldn't believe them if they said that. But I suppose, like, maybe, maybe that's a way you could respond. But it's like the like you could respond that way. I just don't think it would apply to you, uh, anyone who used it, because it probably doesn't seem to them that way. Like yeah, you can, you can exactly. find these little escape routes, but you probably aren't qualified to even take it. Yeah, I, I like it, man. It, it comes back like if you want to go back to the seemings, we get back to the incredulous stare because that seems like a really odd seeming. Or so I, I mentioned that because I think people who are well versed in this area are going to be like, OK, yeah, I see it. But someone watching on YouTube here is like, well, what if it doesn't seem so I just want to like hedge off and like, no, there's answers to this kind of stuff, too. Um, if you take that route, it doesn't, it, it might be a little disingenuous. You might just be like, you know, I don't want to follow your conclusion. So I'm going to take this odd escape route that I'm not sure I actually believe. So I don't know. Uh, it's, it's always tough. I don't want to like give too strong of an error theory and like abuse someone's psychology, but it's like, here's what I think's going on with you. I hope I'm not abusing anyone's psychology. No, you're good, man. It's me. I'll, I'll abuse them. That's good. Um, how about, so I didn't, I didn't spend a whole time on this, a whole bunch of time on this because I figured that you would just bring it up or I could ask you about it. Um, Bergman's under, undercutting defeater. Like how different is that? Is that just what we talked about or is that? His involves, um, his is, a, his is different. Um, cause he's going to want to say, um, he's got these particular theses, uh, and, uh, that you, uh, he thinks seem true. And then he says, okay, if this other thesis, if, if it really seems to you that there's this axiologically gratuitous evil in virtue of these other, uh, theses, you need this fourth thesis to seem true. But anyone who appreciates, uh, once you have a healthy appreciation of skeptical theism, that thesis shouldn't seem true. Um, yeah, it would take a little way of uh, a little uh, a little bit to explain all that. Yeah, okay. Um, I should say I, w- I meant to ask you. Can you tell us like who you studied with, who you did your dissertation with, who was on your committee? Um, I had Mike Bergman as the chair, and then there was Paul Draper, uh, Pat Kane, and Jan Cover. Yeah, so like legends. I I, I wanted to bring that up to the audience because like this is good. These are good folks, and uh, it's it's fun that like. So Draper is a beast, uh, and like 
doesn't agree with you, right? Uh, uh, well, he, I'm not sure if he would, he might be, uh, I think he, let's see. I think he would, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong in this, but I think he, I think he'd agree about the common sense problem of evil. Okay. Um, but it's going to come as a huge shock to you, but, uh, I don't think I was able to convince him that skeptical theism undermines his human yeah. argument. Right. But I, I bring that up because <clears throat> that's really cool that like you, you worked on this with someone who's like, this isn't all just agreeing. It's not like you're advancing his view. Like you're actually picking something against his view. I thought that was sweet. And then, uh, and, and he's, an, I, I think he'd call himself an atheist, right? He's an atheist about perfect being theism. Okay. And then we're, I, I forgot if is Bergman like on record as being an agnostic. That'd be really weird uh, for the past president of this, of the society of Christian philosophers to be on record as being an agnostic. I did not know that at all. Wow. Okay, dude, I, this is great. This is great news. In fact, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, he's not an agnostic. Nice dude. I don't know why I thought that. Um, I just haven't like come across a lot of his, well, I mean, I've come across his work and I have them and I just haven't got a chance to read them, but, um, he did his, uh, PhD under Plantinga, which I mean, that doesn't mean, I guess it doesn't mean you're not an agnostic. I'm just, yeah, I right. People are, but that but at, at Notre Dame when he was there or at Calvin, uh, well, Calvin doesn't have a PhD program. Oh yeah. Uh, Dude, stop, stop making me look stupid here. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. Dang. Uh, I did not know that Bergman. So that's sick. Um, I, I bring all that up because uh, it's cool. It bolsters it. I know like, you're like, Hey, let's just talk the philosophy stuff, but people actually care about this as they're interested in your life. So um, that's pretty I mean, cool. I don't man. think anyone's interested in my life, but um, <laughs> I'm willing to pretend uh, for the, that's for good. the moment. Yeah. Um, okay. So we got, I mean, anything else to say on axiological common sense problems before we move on? Uh, nothing aside from, you know, they fail. Nice. So good. Um, actually, dude, how, how prevalent are these? Like, um, do these come up a lot? I mean, I think actually, well, how often is the question, how often is the common sense problem of evil talked about, or how often is it the axiological version? Um, why not both? Yeah. So how, how common, how common is the common sense one? And then I'm, I'm assuming the axiological is going to be less common than just like, you know, common sense arguments, simplicity or whatever. Um, there's a lot of use of the word common right now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the common sense problem of evil gets talked about a bit. Um, I see it, uh, you know, from non-philosophers a decent amount. I see it from talked about by philosophers a decent amount. Nice. I don't know. It's talked about a bit, and Sweet. I would wager like five dollars because I'm really cheap <laughs> that uh, the axiological version is probably like 65% of the time, maybe 70. Um, but there's also a deontological version, which, uh, yeah. um, but yeah, I think most of the time people have this cause 
probably because um, the way that gratuitous evil is talked about, it's spelled out axiologically, at least typically. And so when people talk about the common sense problem of evil, um, they're going to uh, be using gratuitous evil in this axiological way. So it's just typically going to be an axiological version. Okay. Okay. So that's, I mean, if you can show that they fail, that's pretty epic. That's pretty, that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big chunk of the common sense arguments out of the way. Um, what's going on on deontological ones then? So what is, uh, what's deontological, deontologically gratuitous, uh, evil? Well, now you're making me nervous. I'm not pronouncing this word correct, which I probably am not because you I'm terrible at pronunciation. Deontological? I say deontological, but I have, I'm unreliable here. Um, I used to think, um, for many, for several years, uh, when I first started doing and reading philosophy, I thought Kripke was Kripke. Nice. Um, and when I found out it's Kripke, it like, um, it was really hard to switch over. And I thought, um, I think it's Michel Foucault. I thought he was Michael Foucault. Um, nice. <laughs> and so I don't trust my pronunciation uh, very well of these things. I'm going to say you're, it's logical. You're, but, you're, uh, on, you're on Parker's Pensies podcast, so you can you can pronounce whatever you want, however you want. You know, it should be Ponces and stuff. Um, <clears throat> and, okay, dude, here's, here's another one. So Josh Rasmussen is stupid smart. I love this guy. But he, he gave this argument uh, from Gödel's uh, ontological argument. He kept calling him Godel. And I was like, all right, if, if Josh, who's so much smarter than me, can pronounce it Godel and still, you know, be good, then we're all good. We can all pronounce whatever we want. Wait, so how is it pronounced? It's girdle. What? With, it's got the two little dots on top. It's German, man. It's, uh, it's, well, yeah, it's I mean, girdle. It's not oh Godel. Oh, good thing you didn't make that mistake, but Josh did. I, I'm so an idiot. I don't know what those dots mean. <laughs> this Looks is like so good. Your face. I'm so glad because the Michael Bergman thing I made me look so dumb. And now we're back. You know, like we're both kind of, this is nice. Here, here's um, one that I'm here's one that I'm certain on though. Never ever say plantinga. That is the worst pronunciation. It's pretty, ever. It's pretty bad. I think Tyler McNabb says it weird though. I think he says no. plantinga. Like he's the biggest. He's such a plantinga fanboy. He but can't it, say it wrong. It's. I think you just said it weird too. It's plantinga, right? It's, it's plantinga. plantinga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he said like plant. Instead, I would say plantingian, and he says like plantagian. Well, no one should say that word first off because that's a really ugly word. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But if I was going to say like, okay, here, like, uh, here's a plant, that's what plant, I'm yeah, Plantingian evolutionary argument against naturalism, whatever. And he's like Plantingian, and I was like, Tyler, I love you, Ooh. but you just went down in my book. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is all you know snobbery. It's fun in in philosophy because um, I mean, you could read a book you could read a bunch of different articles with the same name again and again and again and never pronounce it until you go to like a conference and then you say it and it's like, Oh, everyone knew this, but me, how did that happen? Like, I, I, I know this guy's work. I'm writing a paper on his work. How does that, but you just never say it out loud. No one corrects you. And then it's good. It's good humbling though. Yeah. I don't know where we're at. We're, we're back on to day um, or deontological. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to go with deontological, nice. uh, uh, even though that's probably incorrect, it would just throw me off too much to try and say it the other Good. way right now. Good. Do it. So what is the evil? What is day or D ontological gratuitous evil? So the, uh, deontological gratuitous evil is, uh, an evil is deontologically gratuitous. Um, if 
the reasons I'm going to say, I talk about justifying and requiring reasons in the chapter, but I'm just going to talk about reasons. We're going to say um, uh, that an evil is deontologically gratuitous. Um, if the reasons uh, against permitting it um, outweigh, if, if God's reasons against permitting it outweigh God's reasons for, uh, uh, for permitting it. Okay. And we're, the talk here is of God's reasons and not our reasons because, uh, God's reasons are going to be different than ours, uh, partly just in virtue of occupying a different, uh, relation to, uh, so if God exists and he created everything, that's going to put him in a different, uh, relation to creation than we are. Um, in certain ways. And so that means his reasons are, he's going to, he, at the very least, he's going to have some different reasons. Um, and there, there might be other, um, like Mark Murphy, you know, argues that God has no requiring reasons, but set that all aside. I don't know if that's right, but, um, you know, so, so the point is, uh, God's reasons will, uh, if God exists, his reasons are going to differ from ours. So the focus here is on whether God's reasons for permitting something uh outweigh his reasons for against permitting it and if yeah. they if his reasons against permitting an evil outweigh his reasons for permitting it then it's deontologically gratuitous yeah um, and uh, i think this is a, another point it's helpful like like you just did with murphy like if if someone's like an open theist or something and is like no god wouldn't have like okay fine like that's a different model of god we're just saying like let's take the worst case scenario and run with that and show that that doesn't work. And then look, it doesn't even matter what model you're using. It might, but you know what I'm saying? So, so, um, oh, dude, how do you even go about like thinking about God's reasons though? Uh, very carefully. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, how do we, how do you uh, even like adjudicate? Like, um, this one's, this one's deontologically gratuitous because, I know that God doesn't have an, you know, outweighing reason. Yeah. Um, well, maybe, I mean, that'll, that'll, uh, that'll be uh, relevant to my incredulous stare at this argument as well. Okay. Um, okay. So I guess let me, uh, this argument is going to go just like the other one. We're just going to replace axiological with deontological, except this one has a much more plausible and obviously true first premise, which is that, you know, necessarily if God exists, then, uh, there won't be any deontologically gratuitous evil. That's obviously true. Mm -hmm. And then the second premise is that there is deontologically gratuitous evil, and then therefore God doesn't exist. Yeah. And then uh, that's the deontological common sense problem of evil. Um, and then the way that this works is you say, well, okay, there are some people for which it seems that an evil is deontologically gratuitous, and those people have... Uh, Provided they don't have a defeater for the seeming, they have at least some justification for uh, thinking God doesn't exist. Yeah. I actually, I, I think that like premise one can help uh, philosophers of religion, analytic theologians and theologians just in general. It's really, it's really fascinating, like pondering on deontological evil. And it's like, as you were saying, it's much, it's much more uh, like plausibly true than axiological, the, the premise of the axiological Premise one of axiological common sense problem of evil. It is a mouthful. Um, necessarily, God's existence is incompatible with deontologically gratuitous evil. And like you said, de um, you know, an evil is deontologically, I'm pulling from you, deontologically gratuitous for God if and only if God's requiring reasons for some action, not A, outweigh his justifying reasons for A's permission. And it's like, yeah, that's so true. 
even if you're looking at like open theism, um, you'd still have to say, well, no, there's a greater, there's a greater good. And that's like, like our, our radical freedom or whatever they would say, you know, libertarian freedom, whatever the case, uh, you have to think that God has a reason for allowing the evil that he allows based on a, a, uh, you know, another reason that he has like a better reason, a reason or stronger reason, whatever the case. I, I think that's so cool. And, and I think it can, it kind of shows that every theist who affirms evil and, and God's goodness has to have some kind of greater good theodicy because of premise one. Ooh, I don't want to call it a greater good theodicy because your reasons might be non-axiological. So suppose that I promise yeah. to, um, you know, meet you for lunch somewhere and then unbeknownst to me or unbeknown, uh, a friend comes up and says, hey, you want to go play spike ball? But unbeknownst to them, it's at the same time I promised to meet you for lunch. And let's suppose that meeting you for lunch would produce like a thousand units of good, whereas me uh, going and playing spike ball would produce like, I don't know, a thousand and ten units of good. Yeah. You'd still want to say I ought to go to lunch with you because I promised you. And that's a non-axiological reason that outweighs. So because it's not about the goods here, there uh, it's actually less good, but I still ought to do it. So it's non-axiological. Couldn't you make that axiological because in keeping my word, I am, you know, that's another unit, you right? Could, and, but I, I've, you, you could, but I've stipulated that the amount of good that comes oh, from. Yeah, uh, gotcha. uh, so Dang do it. you not accept that though? Once, once I've stipulated, do you yeah, still think no. that even though like, let, let's make it even bigger, like. I get a billion units of uh, goodness from going to lunch with you because, you know, I get to see that wild mustache in person or something. Yeah. Um, but uh, I let's suppose I would get a billion and 0.1 units of good from going and playing spike ball because, you know, spike ball is awesome. Yeah. Um, I still ought to go to lunch with, you, lunch with you, right? Even though there's a tiny bit more value and a tiny bit more good. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Tiny bit more value. Yeah, you still go to lunch. So make it like extreme in another way, right? So like there's going to be way more units if you go to spike ball. You know, there's a thousand. Sorry, I keep, we keep mixing up numbers. There's a thousand units of good, but there's only a hundred if you uh, meet me for lunch. Now it's like, well, I'm, it's not so clear. So value should... can come into play sometimes. Maybe like if the world's going to end, if I don't uh, go to lunch, with, if, I, if I go to lunch with you, maybe then I shouldn't. Um, okay. So sometimes value can come into play, but the point of this is is to show that sometimes uh, there are these non-axiological reasons that uh, outweigh the axiological reasons. Yeah. Okay. Once you admit that, you have to realize that there can be other non-axiological reasons. Like, so it's not all about value. Yeah. So God could have a because this is deontological evil. I need to get more clear, I guess, on deontological evil. Like. Um, God's existence is incompatible with deontologically gratuitous evil. So that, that means that just there is, God wouldn't choose a, if he didn't have strong, like, if he has, if his reasons against permitting uh, some evil are stronger uh, than his reasons for permitting it, he's not going to permit it. That'd be yeah. irrational. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and these are deontological reasons, whatever Right. These aren't these, I mean, this the, isn't... the reasons. The reasons can involve value. Values are okay. reasons. There okay. are going to be other like so. Value is a reason. Like I said, it can um, like the world's going to end if I don't go to lunch with you. Yeah, uh, I should go to lunch with you or something like that. Um, so that's that's what I had in mind when I was saying like this. If you affirm premise one, which it seems plausible, like m a 
theists are going to have to have like what are you what are you going to say god allowed this reason god allowed this evil god allowed yeah, adam and eve to sin uh what was the reason for it well because free will is a good and he wanted us to, you know that's a value right so he does have this reason and and i think it's an axiological reason yeah right and a lot of theists, I think, are like, no, you're a consequentialist if you hold to any kind of like greater good type theodicy. And I'm just saying, like, I don't know. I think this one kind of pins all of us to show, like, if he if he acted for this reason and allowed evil to happen, he had a reason for that. Well, so I used to hold that like I was really averse to consequentialism, but yeah. I think his name is Doug Portmer. Portmore? Hmm. Port something. And his name is... Good probably Doug. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's got this paper at, and a book on it too. And he kind of shows how you can consequentialize uh, any uh, traditionally deontological theory, or at least most of them. But the thought is like, the problem that I really have isn't with consequentializing. It's right. with axiological consequentializing. Okay. Once you admit that there are these reasons that aren't axiological, like, so you might have to do what produces less value. Then I, uh, my aversion to it evaporates because um, okay. it's not just about value maximization. That seems weird. That doesn't seem uh, befitting of God. If, uh, um, uh, but, you know, if we're just talking about reasons, that's a lot more plausible. Of course, right. he has the strongest reason to do. It'd be irrational not to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This is good, man. This is really fun. This is awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm all I'm geeking out, man. This is really fun. Okay. So. Hit me with the incredulous stare on uh, the deontological CPOE. Okay, here's the incredulous stare. Ready? Nice. It's even better with the mustache. You might have to grow one. <laughs> um, okay, so the incredulous stare is kind of the, the same thing that's going on with it. Uh, that's going on with the incredulous stare about um, about uh, uh, axiologically gratuitous evil. So. If you want to say an evil seems deontologically gratuitous, like we need to spell out what that really means. And what that really means is that, um, so there are some requiring reasons against this evil for God uh, to, not, to not permit it. And God has no other reasons justifying or requiring reasons that outweigh this evil. But I don't know, that seems kind of weird. Like, why would it seem to you that that's the case? Like, I, uh, it probably seems to you that this, that there's a strong reason not to permit this evil. Right. Um, but of course that can be outweighed, like, it um, by a stronger reason. Like, it can seem to me that, you know, uh, some injury, there's a strong reason not to allow that. But of, of course there could be uh, stronger reasons, uh, justifying reasons for uh, someone uh, to allow it. Like, it, it, so it seems what's, what, what's probably happening is the person just, we recognize this evil, we recognize these reasons um, for not allowing it, and then it seems that those are really strong reasons. Yeah. Um, that's what I think is going on, because again, like, it's like if somebody saw Mount Baker, had not surveyed Washington State at all, or seen uh, places where other mountains might be, and they just said, this seems like the tallest mountain in Washington. Yeah. That just does not seem plausible. Um, it they probably would just mean it seems really tall, yeah. you know. Um, is that, is it rain? Is it Rainier? What's the tallest? Oh man, let's cut this out of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's Rainier, but uh, you know, I'm seems also like an it. idiot, so I don't yeah. know. <laughs> That's good. I I have no idea. Um, 
okay so and and it's not even like they're specifying the reasons it's not like um this isn't like you know kant and the nazis are at the door and they're like are there any jews here and kant's like i have to keep my word you know i have a deontological reason whatever blah blah it's not like oh god here's what what i know what god's reason is and that's no good so i know that i know that he has a uh you know an outweighing reason that he's not acting on or something like that it's not that it's just saying like it seems to me that that's the case i'm not even specifying what types of reasons yeah, that's what I would be like. That's what I would think is going on there. Like, it seems to you that that's the case. I mean, even if you bought into Kant, uh, did I almost just say Kant? <laughs> what is what is this going is on good. here? We're Americans, uh, man. We're Americans. Why we can say whatever we want. If I bought into Kant's reasoning here, I think if you say Kant, they immediately revoke your PhD. I don't uh, know, dude. I think that if you're analytic, you can say Kant, and everyone's like, "Yeah, take that, Germans!" Like the <laughs> idealists. I think it's all right. Well, well, hopefully we never find out because I don't want to be caught saying that. Yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> uh, so was, oh, yeah, yeah, I was saying, like, you know, even if someone buys Kant's reasoning, they probably would just say, look, Kant's got these really good arguments uh, for why this is an absolute oh, yeah. reason. They would probably yeah. wouldn't say it seems to me that it's seems, absolute or something like that. Like, that'd be right. weird. Yeah. Yeah. So you get blasted with incredulous stare if you guys try and do that one. Um <laughs> Let's let's do uh, undercutting defeater then. Um, the undercutting defeater is kind of the same thing, uh, and so when I, I split my entire like book into these different axiological and deontological categories, and oftentimes it's the same problem facing these different arguments. It's the same argument working in favor of these different positions, and so I'm kind of like making similar moves, and it's really I annoying. I love that. I- I, I like this dude. You're so like pessimistic about this. Probably because you're so you were so deep into it. I love that because it's like, look, I'm gonna be kind of uh, monotonous here. I'm I'm gonna do the exact same thing just so everyone can see. Nope, it didn't work. Nope, it didn't like same exact moves. I kind of like that. I don't know, man. Well, let's hope the other two readers of this yeah. book, you know, think that it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Wait, I want to stop on that. Didn't you just get a uh, um, like a. Tell me about this. Did, are, you're turning this into a book? Uh, yeah, I. Uh, it's due in like 20 days. Um, Fast. I think it's going to be out in 2023. I picked a really exciting title. What do you got? It's called Skeptical Theism. Nice. I uh, mean that that's that's kind of like an epic move, though. It's like this is this is the book on skeptical theism. I don't and, need a title. Uh, I don't need a subtitle. Skeptical theism. <laughs> That's what you know. I should have called it the book on skeptical theism. It's not too late. 20, 20 days, dude. There's a book called the Multiple Realization Book about multiple realization. Um, nice. <laughs> well, you could do. You call it the Atlas of uh, skeptical theism. The Atlas. The Atlas of, yeah, like the Atlas of metaphysics, and just flex on them. <laughs> yeah. The, so I got this. Hopefully, uh, hopefully after this book is out, I can stop writing on skeptical theism. But you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. see. Yeah. If you were if you were wondering, uh, academic book contracts for unknown philosophers pay very well. They mm. offered me roughly six hundred McChickens for this thing. Nice, um, dude. Which is, I'll take it. I would have I would have done it for fifty McChickens. <laughs> that's what, don't tell them because it's not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's awesome, man. I'm excited for that, and I don't know. I have to lose. Oh, yeah. So that. so this dissertation, most of the chapters, uh, there's a few extra chapters. I think I added in three chapters, but most of it flows from my dissertation. Yeah. Although chapters um, 
in my dissertation defense, Paul Draper just like gave me a devastating objection to one of my arguments. Yeah. Um, absolutely devastating with the very first question of the defense. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, that's right. That, that argument I was giving uh, uh, is unsound. That doesn't work. And so while the dissertation contains this unsound argument, uh, I fixed it for the book, which re, uh, is uh, quite a bit different in the in the opening chapters because of that. I forgot. I mean, so you told me that, like, on Facebook Messenger or something. Did did you um did you rework it and send it? Has Draper seen it again, or is he going to hit you with another? Oh no! I've, I mean, I've talked to him. I met with him because uh, I wanted to before I got this uh, out, uh, like, send in the final draft of the book. I wanted to uh, see what he thought of this. Um, move i made well what i did was i just got rid of the argument i was making that wasn't sound and then i addressed uh the issue uh in a different context and nice. um yeah it's, i mean uh, the the first ar the argument that he was objecting to uh i mean he was just right um uh so i was like uh, yeah so i took it out and now nice. uh i mean so he couldn't raise the same objection but i wanted to see oh, if he gotcha. had any other ones yeah that's good um okay do, uh, did we Okay, you you just said, oh, hey, look, like, I make the same move. But, about yeah. you, you said, hey, it's this, I'm going to go with the same move for the uh, undercutting yeah, defeater, yeah. but you didn't do it. We're hey, all over the place here. Uh, probably right. my fault. Um, it's good. This is a podcast, man. That's what I'm saying. This is people love this crap. Nice. Um. Uh. Uh. uh what was I going to say? All oh, right. Right. So the thought is yeah. like, um, am I on? I think I'm on the other undercutting defeater right yeah yep yep yeah yeah so the thought is like um a few things like uh one is that like look if we're good at tracking reasons we're going to be good at like uh if our seemings are good at tracking reasons because again i'm not talking about anyone's belief or right. anything like anything like that i'm just talking about seemings here um if you think our seemings track reasons it's maybe it's plausible to think that they track human reasons it's a whole nother thing to say they track uh, God's reasons. Right. Um, that seems to me wildly implausible. And one piece of evidence for this would be that, like, you know, we all disagree about, like, there's arguments, um, any argument as traditionally stated, um, or not any argument, I should say, lots of arguments in natural theology make use of what they say are God's reasons for um, causing certain states of affairs Lots of theodicies uh, give God's purported reasons for um, uh, permitting states of affairs, lots of evils. Um, and then arguments from evil uh, make use of all these purported reasons God has and on their weight. So uh, for uh, permitting certain evils and all that stuff. But there's wild disagreement about that. Um, yeah. If we all could just converge with our seemings, that would be evident that, you know, maybe then we'd have some evidence that our seemings could reliably track God's reasons. But, you know, it seems that, um, I don't know, I think we got reason to doubt that. And again, if we are reluctant to ascribe a high probability to our seemings uh, uh, being reliable here, that's going to be a problem. It's going to give us this defeater. And I yeah. think we ought to be uh, reluctant to give a high probability here. Maybe, again, maybe in the case of human reasons, we can do that. But dubious, and I'm not even sure of that, uh, uh, seeming, it would be weird to just when, you're, when we're talking about reasons, we're weighing them against each other. Mm -hmm. So it'd be weird to think that our seemings just immediately do this. Right. In certain ways. Like, yeah. uh, again, think of like the stars, like in order to know whether they're even or odd, we got to count them all up. Um, it'd be weird to say, you know, you got this seeming that they're odd or something like that. 
Um, so similarly, it'd be really weird and seems implausible to think that they would track God's reasons that way. Yeah. What do you say to like, <clears throat> well, I don't even know what you'd say to someone who's like, yeah, I, I can't really explain it. It just seems like there's an odd number. Like, well, I don't know. That, that's a belief. That's an odd belief, but I don't think that you, I don't think that seems to you that case. I wouldn't in that. Yeah. So I wouldn't believe it seems to them that way. I also wouldn't believe that they actually believe it, but, um, cause that'd be really odd. And, but again, people hold odd beliefs, uh, yeah. all the time. Literally that would be an odd belief cause they think the number is odd, but maybe the belief itself wouldn't be. I'm, I'm very disappointed that you beat me to that. <laughs> I'm in the zone now cause you've been doing it to me for an hour. <laughs> it's good. Uh, um, yeah. Okay. This is good. It's if, if, uh, if it seems to you like there's reason to doubt it. Okay. Uh, and that's like, that's kind of like Bergman's the, the famously Christian, uh, Michael Bergman's, uh, movie, <laughs> the, which all of us knew. I knew that you knew that, um, uh, that that's, that move is from him or is again, like, you know, uh, no, I mean he doesn't talk about this deontological. Uh, right, right. You're, but you're applying that that like principle that like that you brought up earlier from from Bergman. Like, oh, if, oh yeah, yeah. His his paper on defeaters. Yeah. Um, I think it's called uh, defeaters and higher level requirements. Nice. Or something mm-hmm. like that. I'm uh, gonna put that in my Christian devotionals now that I know that he's. Just... <laughs> it's good. Uh, okay. Okay. Um. There's also, I mean, dead, deontological, uh, common sense, probably will completely toast. Sorry, everyone. But there's also a well, real... Well, toast is good. It's like tasty, you know? It's like burnt toast that no one wants. Ah, uh, okay. This is the, the real common sense problem of evil, uh, which famous made famous by Dr. Perry Hendricks. Before this podcast, I told Parker not to call me doctor because religious <laughs> people like to be called doctor. Uh, and it's you. I was a uh, people who like put it in their names, like when they they put their PhD. Like, oh, it's so. Uh, Bro, don't do that to me. I'm the only reason I'm getting a PhD is because that will help everything on YouTube, and I will put Doctor Parker said a case. I'll change my whole name to Doctor Parker's Pensies. The so only t- reason to tell people to call you doctor is if you're trolling your friends or uh, uh, that's, that's so the good. only reason anyone can call me anything they want. But mm. uh, if I'm around my brothers or my friends, it's got to uh, I'll, I demand doctor. I <laughs> that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So we got this common sense problem of undefeated evil. Yeah. Um, okay. So this version um, I've, progressively gotten less and less confident in this version of the common sense problem of evil. When I originally wrote this first half of this paper, I thought it did a lot better than uh, I currently think it uh, does. Um, So in my chapter, I really need to uh, um, dole it down and uh, be less optimistic about it because I've really just lost hope in it. Okay. Um, Okay. Anyway, this this version uh, is the, yeah, it's about undefeated evil. So uh, so one, one way to think about uh, uh, this is like, let's first think of like organic holes. You might think that a hole can have more or less value than the sum of its parts. So like, you know, a painting uh, might have more value than um, 
the drops of paint that yeah. uh, make it up. Or, or a human being. It, maybe it has less. Like a human uh, being has more value, hopefully, than like their organs or something. Well, I don't Depending. know. What if you have like a really good heart or something? Yeah. But we should say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Organic holes. There we go. Back to it. So uh, you, uh, uh, yeah. So some things uh, have more value than the parts they're composed. Um, and uh, 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 yeah. And so um, whether uh, if you add something to an organic hole, it might be a bad thing that makes it better. It could even be a good thing that makes it worse. So adding in like something good to one of these things uh, uh, might actually make it worse off. And commercially, adding in a bad thing can make it better off. So, for example, if you have a painting, like, so this is all, like, secondhand information. I'm, like... Um, Are you going to do Banksy? Are you going to talk about Banksy painting? Uh, no. Okay, do yours, and then I'll bring up... I don't know. That sounds... I, I was going to say, I have no clue about anything about art. I'm uncultured swine. Yep. Complete idiot about this stuff. So, uh, <laughs> I'm just taking people's word that the Mona Lisa is a good painting. Okay. Um, if you yeah. take the Mona Lisa and you insert like this uh, uh, really good looking picture, like let's say a picture of my face, really good looking. With uh, the mustache. Into the painting, extremely yeah. good looking. Yeah. Uh, extremely valuable. You mustache. put it in the Mona Lisa, the Mona Lisa becomes less valuable. Okay. For so some you've people. added value, but as the whole, it's become less valuable. Yeah. Um, so if you add this good thing to, uh, something, if you add good to something, it can as a whole become worse off. What's your yeah. Banksy example though? My Banksy example is for the opposite. If you add something bad to a good painting, but it makes it more valuable. Uh, this dude Banksy is, uh, I mean, have you heard of him before? I've heard the name. It's and... like, yeah, like hipstery people really like, like, oh, there's a Banksy and he'll like spray paint a, a piece of art or something and. I don't, I think people still don't know who he is, but they think that he might be like in a band because he goes where this band goes or something. But anyways, there's this painting and it's sold. And uh, at the auction, it just started going down into a shredder. And it turns out that in the frame of the picture, he built in a shredder that I don't know if he like remote control. It's, it seems like he remote control, like did it right after it sold. So that half the painting gets uh, shredded and it's like hanging out the bottom. And then that just was like, now it's a, now it's worth way, way more, even though it's half shredded. I so. remember seeing that story actually. Yeah. That's that. Uh, yeah. So that's an example of uh, adding some disvalue. You're cutting into it or something like that. And it yeah. becomes more valuable. Yeah. Nice. Um, I'm a yeah. philosopher now. Now I'm officially a philosopher. I don't need a PhD. <laughs> um yeah yeah uh uh so yeah so you can have these uh add good things add value to something it becomes worse uh you can add disvalue to something it becomes better on the whole um so yeah and we can say that an evil is defeated if so you take this instance of evil and it uh is a part of this person's life if it made their life better on the whole then we can say it's defeated and in all of in all other cases it's undefeated Okay. Um, and then we can say, um, then we can construct this uh, common sense problem of undefeated evil, which goes like this. Uh, the first premise is going to be that, you know, God's existence is incompatible with um, undefeated evil. And the second premise is going to be, you know, there is undefeated evil. And the third premise is going to be, uh, you know, or the, the conclusion is going to be, you know, so God doesn't exist. And the thought again is that some people 
might have this uh, common sense justification for thinking that some evil is undefeated. Um, and so they're going to have this common sense justification uh, for atheism, for thinking that God doesn't exist. Yeah. So then you, you hit them with a semi or semi-credulous stare. Why is it semi? So once again, like when I first wrote this chapter, it was a credulous stare. Okay. And then after talking, after getting comments back and uh, um, from my committee and stuff, it became a semi-credulous stare. But right now I'm currently thinking that it really deserves an incredulous stare. <laughs> um, <laughs> so good. What? Well, yeah. Why is that? Um, so, well, let me explain why. I thought, so at first, why I thought it was a credulous stare is um, because when we think about undefeated evil, I'm going to follow like uh, the way that some other people have talked about it when they talk about like, well, if it's if it's undefeated or if it's a defeated evil, you wouldn't wish it away. Or uh, if it's a defeated evil, you would accept it. And so let's say in the, if an evil is defeated, you accept it. If it's undefeated, you don't accept it. Well, I kind of thought, you know, it's plausible. It's not crazy to say that, you know, you would uh, not accept it, that it seems to you that you would not accept an evil, uh, some evil ever, like think of some horrific um, instance of suffering, you know, maybe someone undergoing the Holocaust thinks, you know, uh, I would never accept this, or it seems I should. So it's not about the belief. It's about the seeming. It seems right. I would never accept this, right? This seems like it's, um, or maybe it seems to you that they would never accept it. Um, so just in thinking about it that way, um, uh, it seemed plausible to me, but now I think actually talking through it now, I think I've diagnosed my problem, um, which is that I was doing what these, uh, what proponents of common sense problems of evil do for the other versions that I thought was, uh, that I think is a problem, which is you're just talking about accepting it, but you're not thinking about what it means to accept it. Okay. Um, because, or, or what's involved in accepting it. Um, so if you really would never accept an evil, like let's think about like what could lead you to accept an evil. And I'll, I'll, this gets into some things I talk about later, but like, you know, you might accept an evil. It seems pretty plausible that you would accept one if uh, it was needed to avoid some horrendous other evil. Like, right. uh, um, or it seems plausible that if God had this really strong requiring reason or justifying reason for allowing it that you might accept it given um but if we don't know what that reason is at all it'd be hard to make a judgment about that right so i am so it started as a credulous stare i'm downgrading it to an incredulous stare um, <laughs> because um yeah i think that um just what what it what it takes to say that you would not accept it, that it you would not accept an evil involves a lot and it seems really dubious to think that it seems to anyone that that's the case. Yeah. Um, did you find it when you read that section? Did you find it more plausible than the other versions to say it seemed to someone that it that something's undefeated or whatever? Uh, yeah, a little. I mean, more so than, um, I think more so than like deontological. Uh, just because it's, I don't, yeah, I think more so. Um, that 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 seeming makes a little bit more sense to say that um but again like you know you you have 
four replies to this, three replies to this one. So it was hard. I think I had four, but one of them was Bergman. So I'll only talk yeah. about three. Uh, yeah. Applying Bergman's reply. Yeah. Um, so, so I should have probably taken more time and just sat with it, but I was like, well, let's keep going. What does he say? So I didn't get enough time to like ruminate on it without hearing your replies. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So there, there's my uh, incredulous stare. I guess I'll give my three replies uh, yeah. to it. Uh, one is just this undercutting defeater again. Um, and actually in my first draft and possibly in that chapter, I can't remember because um, it was actually during my dissertation of defense that I became a lot more skeptical of this. Um, nice. Uh, um, but uh, uh, I think I might have said in the chapter that uh, this it's not really clear if this is an undercutting defeater, but I'm uh, I think it actually is. So um, an undercutting de the undercutting defeater here is, well, you know, whether we actually will accept uh, an evil depends on all these factors that um, it's not that we have reason to doubt our seemings track. It's going to depend on uh, goods and evils it's connected to, because if there's a really valuable good or a really bad evil that's con logically connected to my experiencing this or that person experiencing it, maybe the person would accept it. Right. Uh, it's not clear. Um, or if it's, uh, it's also going to depend on um, the weight of God's reasons for allowing it. And uh, because maybe if he has really strong reasons for allowing it, someone would accept it. Yeah. In that case, it's in double trouble. It's even worse off than the other ones because uh, the deontological problem of evil, uh, common sense problem of evil, only faced the skeptical uh, worry about God's reasons. The axiological common sense problem of evil only faced skepticism about goods and evils. But this one faces both of those. Nice. Because uh, both of those can come into play when accepting um, uh, when accepting in, uh, whether someone's going to accept an instance of evil. Yeah. So that's the undercutting defeat of there. It's just implausible to think that our seemings track all that. And so it looks like there's an undercutting defeat of it. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, um, <clears throat> I want to jump on, like, I want to jump to the trans transformative experience and uh, accepting undefeated evil replies. But um, I, I want to give you a chance if you want to broach uh, Bergman's again. Uh, that would, uh, it'd probably be better to skip it. Go, Let's uh, do it. Yeah, let's skip it. For sure. Uh, it would take uh, take a while to explain that. Okay, hit us um, with this uh, transformative experience. Uh, talking to me, I guess, is a transformative experience in some sense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you know, suppose you were trying to figure out whether you uh, wanted to become a vampire. Um, you know, you might think that uh, it's really that it's not possible uh, to really make, or that it's really tough to make a rational decision there because. If you become a vampire, you're going to have, uh, you're going to become immortal. You're going to like really want to drink blood. Um, you're going to like wearing long black capes and right. hanging upside down and stuff like that. Um, you know, your outfits you wear are. Uh... Don't tell the folks at home, man. You're going to blow up my spot. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, okay, so, you know, you're trying to figure out whether to become a vampire, but that's going to involve uh, changing, like, a lot of experiences you haven't had. You don't know, uh, well, maybe Parker knows, what it's like to desire to drink blood or <laughs> something like that. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's radically different. Um, you're going to uh, have all these different preferences. Um, so, in this, in this sense, uh, becoming a vampire is epistemically transformative. It involves acquiring all this new information that you didn't already have about like avoiding sunlight, avoiding garlic and all that kind of stuff. 
And it's going to change your preferences radically in ways that you don't know. You don't know what it's like to have a preference to, uh, to, uh, uh, want blood or something. Yeah. More. Accost ladies in the night and yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you have, you have no you clue what that's like. And so this is, uh, I'm here. I'm completely playing off of LA Paul's book, transformative experience. And so the thought is like, um, uh, it's a transformative experience. So if we're just making a decision about uh, what it, it's hard, she offers a solution to it, uh, which I won't get into. Uh, uh, but uh, it's hard to see, or she offers a partial kind of solution. But uh, it's hard to see how we can rationally decide what to do there if we're just trying to do what has the most expected value, because we don't know what what is. And that's going to depend on what our preferences are and all sorts of other yeah. information. This this is this has been. I don't know if if Paul does this. I can't remember. Um, but people will apply this to like becoming a Christian because like your preferences will change and like all this kind of stuff. And I, I Brandon Rickbaugh told me that Alex Proust has like a nasty objection to this that he brought to Paul, but I, I can't Pretty gross. just like devastating, nasty, not gross, <laughs> but um, I can't repristen it. I just want everyone to know that I know someone who knows someone who has a reply. Um, but yeah, so like that. Yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. Now I'm curious about that. And also uh, she has a paper. We read it for, uh, I feel like, yeah, it was for this philosophy of religion course. Uh, it was actually taught by Bergman and Draper. And um, it was, uh, we, I think we read a draft of one of uh, a paper she had on it. Uh, so maybe, maybe she does have a paper on it that you're remembering, uh, but yeah. on religious, on transformative experience with respect to uh, religious community or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and there, there's a lot of stuff on this. Um, a lot of objections, a lot of responses. Now I'm really curious about, is it Proust? Yeah. I thought it was Proust. Um, is that for real? Are you messing with me again? No, I, I did think it was Proust. I'm telling you, I, we don't talk. People don't, I mean, you read their stuff forever and you never say it out loud. And I've done it so much on the podcast. I'm just so glad that you're doing it as well. It's <laughs> great. So yeah, uh, there's this, uh, uh, the thought is, um, and, and the, the religious conversion is exactly, um, is really related, uh, whether there's transformative experience. I think Helen de Cruz has a paper on this as well, about whether there's transformative experience uh, involved in religious conversion uh, or something like that. And what I'm going to, what I say is uh, kind of uh, reminiscent of that kind of stuff, uh, except I have a really aesthetically ugly term I use, uh, which is, and I can't think of a better one. Uh, which is, I talk about like, well, suppose theism, suppose that you die and you meet God. And I talk about meeting God. Um, and I talk about that as a transformative experience because, okay, you die, you meet God. And let's suppose you acquire all this information about, uh, the world, uh, your place in it, every, all these connections between different things and all of God's reasons or the relevant ones or something like that. Um, that's a lot of new information. And then your preferences will probably change. If you, you know, come to uh, talk to a perfect being, uh, presumably your preferences are going to uh, align or at least more so align with this being in ways that you can't really tell from the outset. Um, or, or like cheesecake won't taste as good anymore because you're like, all my other experiences are lesser now that I've had this great experience. Well, and cheesecake I prefer... never tasted good though. Oh, come on, dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, whatever you like, uh, blood, because maybe you're the vampire you're projecting on me. Cheese steak is good. Cheesecake, no. <laughs> okay. 
but uh, uh, you know, you might uh, uh, your preferences will change in this way. You're gonna learn a lot of new information, and it's gonna be in this sense a transformative experience. Yeah. Um, and if that's the case, we then uh, what matters is whether you would accept the evil then. It doesn't matter right now. Uh, um, it matters like in the end after full disclosure yes, and all that stuff. Yes. Uh, whether you'd accept it. Okay, dude, this is so good. I I, I was thinking about this. Um, I was thinking about this same like line of argument. Oh man, where was that? It doesn't matter where it was. Just like a couple months ago. We should know this. where you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Car <laughs> house. Um the, okay, so like uh um you think about like a oh shoot, man. I I hate giving like counter examples in this area cuz cuz they're all gross cuz you have to talk about evils and you make up evils and I don't like making up evils. But let's say like someone someone like someone was tortured and and killed. And it's like right now, uh, you look at that and you're like, this doesn't seem like there's any reason for it. It seems like an instance of gratuitous evil. Um, this seems really bad, but you don't know that like three years down the line, uh, all my like a, a couple of my friends and family will become Christians because of because of the hor horrible things that happened to me. And like if, you know, given Christianity or whatever, like I'm in heaven with Christ and he's like, hey, look, uh, would you change this? seeing that like these people are coming to faith and I'd be like, no, no way, dude, let that happen, you know, a hundred times or whatever, because now I have this like new perspective. And so it's just like a uglier, uh, uh, less thought through version of what you said. Yeah. So when you acquire more information, um, that would, that, yeah, that's definitely part of it. Uh, if you were to know, yeah. So like knowing your place, it could be even things way more distant than that. Um, yeah. Um, it could also even be like, well, I won't get into that. Um, uh, uh, but I mean, like, think of, a. have you read Hud Hudson's paper, Beautiful Evils? I don't think so. So he talks, well, like, I guess one possible reason would, might even just be aesthetic, an aesthetic reason. Um, hmm. but that would be a complicated road to go and I'll avoid, but you yeah. should read that. Everyone okay. should read that. Everyone yeah. who's anyone should read that. That's good. Um, Beautiful Evils, you said? Beautiful Evils, yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh. Yeah, yeah. So what you, what you were saying is a is definitely an example of this. And then, yeah. but there's even more things. It could just be like maybe God had really strong reasons. Um, yeah. Maybe those reasons aren't what you were talking about. Maybe they were something else. Yeah. Um, we need to know uh, what those reasons would be in order to evaluate whether you'd accept them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, but also yeah, maybe your preferences change. Maybe uh, you had that preference to live at that moment in time. Maybe you're preferences once you uh become aware of all these other things and you meet a perfect being or something like that maybe your preference maybe you wouldn't have preferred to live at that point because right. of all this other stuff right so it's a, if it's a transformative experience and you buy into this transformative experience kind of stuff and maybe even if you don't um maybe you don't need yeah i think maybe you don't need to need to even wed yourself to this transformative experience stuff it's just a nice way to illustrate it yeah um then you know you might accept it and so the question is well how likely is it that you would accept it and I want to say, uh, you know, at least given um, uh, at least the way that we're thinking about it now, uh, you, you it's probably like inscrutable or something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I, I uh, yeah, I think that's what I have about. I think that's all I really say about transformative experience. If you have a better term suggestion than meeting God, 
I'm happy to hear it. I got 20 days to change this. Uh, <laughs> That's good. Well, okay. This is a great example, uh, a great time for me to boost the algorithm. So folks, if you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment. What do you think? What's a better example? What's a better name for it than, than meeting God? Boom. Now we're going to get a million views. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, so, so we got transformative experience here. Uh, the last reply accepting undefeated. Oh, evil. yeah. So, um, the first premise of the common sense problem of undefeated evil, again, I think when I first wrote this paper, I didn't have a section in cause I was like, oh, I guess it's kind of plausible. But then I think it was, uh, it, I think it was some comments from Draper that made me skeptical of it. But now I just, it seems really implausible to me to think that, um, God's existence is incompatible with undefeated evil. That's ridiculous, I think. Um, and well, there are three reasons uh, you might think so. Um, this one isn't terribly strong, but it's something to sort of, you know, get you uh, to, ca to cast some doubt to uh, uh, for your uh, thinking that God wouldn't allow undefeated evil. So maybe you think like along with William Hasker that that would um, eliminate, he thinks it would uh, just eliminate moral motivation, I think. But you might even just think it reduces it. So if every evil someone undergoes really makes them better off on the whole, like it, it at the very least, it eliminates one reason for preventing evil. And one strong reason for preventing evil is, you know, that it's harmful to that person. It's making them worse off. Yeah. But if, if there's really no undefeated evil, then you don't have that reason. And so there's a uh, at least reduced sense of moral motivation. I think you can find ways around it, but it's uh, you, you can... Like if you endorse some kind of divine command theory, love your neighbor as yourself, even if it makes them worse off or something, uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, you can, you, you, you could still be morally motivated, but there's still a threat there. There's still a reduced amount of moral motivation. Um, that might be a problem. Yeah. That's fascinating. I was thinking about like, yeah, <clears throat> love your enemy. And like, in so doing you'll heap hot coals on their head and like, well, whatever the heck that means, if that, that could be an example of making them worse off, even though you're supposed to love them because it, yeah, you might just be hardening their heart, but it's like, whatever, dude, what am I supposed to like be a jerk to them? No. I, yeah. That's, fa that's fascinating. My mind's just going here. Um, and Dustin yeah. Crumb has a paper on this as well. That's like worth checking out. Okay. What do you, centered requirements. What's it called? Suffers centered requirements. And then some other part of this, apparently I can only remember like the first three words of a paper after that. It's, <laughs> it's gone. That's good. We have Google, man. That's all you need anyways. Um, okay. This, this has been huge, man. And this is just one chapter from your dissertation. I'm really excited for the book. I think it's gonna be awesome. Um, if you know, uh, on the condition that you find a new name for, uh, encountering God or whatever you said, um, <laughs> if, if the YouTubers will help us, um, this has been huge, man. Thanks so much for your time. We, we, it's like an hour and a half already. This, this is, Oh yeah. Oh wait, let me finish that last point, which okay. is just that it's crazy to think that God would have this requirement. Uh, even like sometimes we're, we're, uh, obligated. Sometimes we ought to sacrifice brothers, even if like, uh, you know, if the only way to prevent a thousand holocausts was for me to be tortured, uh, and I wouldn't accept being tortured. I should probably be tortured, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or uh, if yeah. suppose that an evil would almost be defeated for me, it wouldn't be defeated, but it'd be pretty close. But it had this other result that'd be a great good or prevention of a great evil. Or maybe God just had a good reason to allow it. Um, then maybe it doesn't matter that I didn't accept it. Maybe God can do other things that would uh, appease me, even though I won't accept it or something. Oh, like yeah, right, 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 right. 
So yeah, yeah, I just don't buy it as a requirement. I think maybe maybe that an evil is un, that I wouldn't accept an evil is a reason for God maybe to not allow it. But reasons can always be overridden. Not yeah. always. Most reasons can always be overridden uh, by stronger reasons. Yeah. But yeah, that's so that's that was the last point, I guess. I I don't buy it as uh, I, I don't think that God's existence makes uh, means that there's no uh, undefeated evil. Yeah. And so all these common sense problems of evil fail. Um, so I say that's, yeah, that's the gist, I guess. That's so awesome, man. I, I love this. We haven't even, this isn't even like the skeptical theism stuff, which you've spent so, so, so much time on. So that it's really fun that you got this, this extra chapter, in, which, I mean, it serves, it's really, it's uh, dialectically pretty fun because you have all this skeptical theist stuff. And then if someone's like, well, I've got a common sense problem of evil. So this whole book I can throw out. You're like, mm, not quite. Cause blam, I got a whole chapter on that. So, um, dude, thanks so much. I don't think like, do you have anything to promote? You're like, so reluctantly like, uh, a PhD in philosophy that you're like, oh, I don't care. Everything's fine. Do you have anything where you can like point to people? Like if they wanted to hear from you more or read some more of your stuff? Uh, I have a website. Yeah, it's got knew, papers on it. I knew you were going to say something like this. Wait, what's the uh, website? Yeah. It's, uh, my name.com. Nice. M Y. No, it's not M Y N A M E. Uh, it's oh, just Harry yeah. Uh, I also did this podcast interview, uh, which you can listen to. Are you talking about this one? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I sometimes answer emails, but I get backed up uh, on yeah. those and yeah. I'm lazy and I Me forget too. about them. I'm with you. Those yeah. Well, awesome, dude. All right, folks. Uh, this was uh, a good one. This is really deep. If you guys got questions, drop them in the, the comments. If you like this video, uh, give it a like. And, uh, if you learned something, then drop one of those thinking emojis into the comments as well. And we need to know whose mustache was better. I'm pretty positive it was mine. Dang it. That's true. I got up, upstaged, upstashed on my own uh, channel here. That's not cool. Oh, I mustache you, actually. Yeah, yeah. How long yeah. have you been growing that thing? Um, five years. Yeah. I mean, they fall out when I'm thinking a lot, too. Like, I'll be pulling on it. And I need to not do that. Um, so I, I probably have been playing with it a lot this this uh, whole time. This was awesome, dude. Thanks so much. Um, this is huge. I can't wait to. I can't wait for you to come back on like you promised you would and talk about... Uh, Skeptical theism in all its glory. Uh, folks, that's going to have to do it for now. This has been Parker's Pensies, and as always, all glory to God.